Hello and welcome to episode 2, part B of my podcast. This is Chini DK and I'll be taking you through the ins and outs of property renovation. This week's episode, as a follow-up from last week, is titled Finding a Suitable Property to Buy. So let's revisit what I promised you to carry on this week from last week. So I promised you this week that I would go through viewing a property to buy, the importance of viewing more than once what to look out for during a property viewing, how to find secret areas and telltale signs, making a checklist and asking the right questions. So let's start at the very top, which I would consider to be the actual viewing of a property itself. So we spoke about the different avenues through which you could actually find a property to view, for instance, online platforms. As soon as you come across a property you like, or you find appealing, you should set up a viewing immediately with the estate agents. Or if the property is being sold directly, as we did talk about speaking directly to landlords last week, then you would want to book an appointment as soon as you are able to with the seller to view it. Moving quickly, as I did mention as well last week, is of paramount importance. This is because if you have seen a property that's of interest, if the property is visibly appealing and desirable, then you can be sure that other buyers are looking at this property as well. So being organized from the very start, moving quickly just saves you time and saves you the hassle of failed viewings or disappointments of not actually being able to view the property that you thought might be the one. With the actual process of viewing, I did advice last week, taking someone on viewings with you. While this might sound very basic, be sure to take someone with you. This I would strongly advise as it will help you with balancing out your thoughts and your opinions to be with the property, to do with the property that you're viewing, as well as providing a much needed second opinion during a process like this. As I said on part A as well, take someone with you that is aligned with your purpose of finding a property and not someone that will chit chat or distract you. I would also recommend avoiding taking kids on viewings as much as possible, simply because you want to minimize the distractions to your mind as you commence the process of actually finding your dream home. So let's talk about the viewing process. Multiple viewings can be very, very overwhelming. However, if you plan properly, it can be a very smooth and organized process. Most people typically view properties during evenings, after work, and also weekends, probably on Saturdays, as I'm not aware of any, very many agents that open on Sundays. So at this juncture, I would like to provide a few tips that will help you better organize your viewings and allow you make the most of your time on viewings. So from the very start, it's good to make a short list of properties that you'd like to view. I'm assuming that you'd have specific areas. Even if you have two or three unrelated areas, you want to list the properties by area and plan your time around viewing as many as possible in those areas. So 
Work out how many properties you're comfortable with viewing at a time and how many realistically you can view at a time. It's always good to allow 10-15 minutes lateness time for yourself and for the agents as well or for the direct seller if they do not live in the property for instance. You want to give individuals and yourself time to actually get to those properties for viewing. So work out how many properties that you can comfortably see in a goal. Try not to book more than, more than a handful at a time because sometimes viewings might take you longer than you plan. You don't want a situation where you're viewing and then you're having to rush off from the viewing because someone else is waiting for you, another agent is waiting for you at an, another property. You want to give yourself enough breathing space, enough processing time to be sure of what you are actually looking at. And as well as carrying out the other checks, which I will be updating you on as this podcast goes along. So in my opinion, I think it's better to not have more than a handful of properties to view because the process can be more exhausting than enjoyable. And you want to make sure that you are of sound mind and you are fully present in the process when you are making a decision on buying a home. So you want to also make sure that you're capable of making the right decision as opposed to second guessing yourself because you weren't really paying attention because you were in a hurry or because you were just simply distracted by any other medium or any other thing that might come to your mind or come to mind about distractions. Um, So consider taking a day off work. I would consider taking a day off work. This is a tip that I would give. Consider taking a day of work because finding a property to buy by itself is a job on its own. So it might not be very advisable to try and get off work at 5 p.m. and then your manager gives you like last minute tasks to get through or you're the manager yourself and you haven't gone through your tasks and then now you're rushing on a viewing or you're having to change dates and times. Do not frustrate yourself throughout this process. So tip number one, work out how many properties that you're comfortable viewing. Number two, Consider taking a day or two off work in order to be able to maximize your time during viewings and make sure the best of yourself is showing up to that viewing. You also might want to go as early as you can. So tip number three, go as early as you can to the property. This goes a very long way. Even if the agent's not available to open the doors or the seller's not available to open the doors, it allows you just process. You stand outside, visualize the process. Can you see yourself living in this neighborhood? Can you see yourself living in this house? Can you see yourself buying this property? You want to get that out of the way. You want to settle down, settle that in your mind as the whole process goes along. Now, this brings me to the all-important point, and it is even a legal point as well. Make sure you view the property more than once. Once is not enough. I cannot stress this point enough. Once is not enough. By law, um, agents are obligated to show you the property more than once. So if you need to see it twice, then you see it twice. Because sometimes you view a property, you view three others... And you might along the way get a bit confused or you might forget some separate aspects of the property. So never make a decision based on, oh, I viewed it once, I saw a picture and now, oh, yeah, 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 I remember, I remember, I'm just going to buy this property. No, 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 no. Even when you've shortlisted and you're like, okay, fine, there are two or three here that I might be considering buying or there's one or two, make sure you go back to view once is not enough repeat viewings are recommended 
So after viewing for the first time, you might want to revisit it several times, a second time, a third time, and you make these appointments. And you just convince the agents that these appointments, these revisits are helping you make up your mind. Do not be shy about, don't feel like a pain in terms of, oh, I don't want anyone to think that I'm a pain by wanting to view this property more than once because you are investing your hard-earned currency. And so it's important that you make the right decision from the very start. Now I'm going to give you some little tips, which when you get used to viewing with these tips, they will seem like a no-brainer, but at the beginning it might not be very obvious, especially if you're a first-time buyer to basically take these points into consideration, but it's really important as well. So if the property is on a major road and you view this property, let's say, first thing Saturday morning, on your second viewing, make sure you go on rush hour, for instance, because if the noise is an incessant sound, it might affect not just your living in the house, but if it's a buy-to-let investment, it will affect your ability to rent this property out. You want to make sure that the levels of sound, the levels of noise coming into the property is not disruptive to everyday living. Of course, in terms of renovation, you can double glaze your windows and you can make sure you do as much as possible to make sure the sound doesn't come through, but you don't want to be caught unawares. You want to be sure that you've taken out the time to actually see this property in its true light. So you've seen it when it's quiet. You've seen it also when it's rush hour, when it's noisy. Also, you want to be sure that on a warm summer's evening, <laughs> For example, you're able to sit in your living room, open up the doors or open up the windows and enjoy watching the telly. Because if there's a lot of noise traveling from outside into a property, it affects how enjoyable the property will be long term. Second point, if the property is close to a train station, make an appointment to visit the property during the day to see whether commuters clog up the streets with their cars or make it difficult to get in and out or make it difficult to park or drive on those streets. Have a look around. Is this property near a pub or is it close to a shop? And then visit during the opening hours. During these opening hours, the off licenses, if there's a pub around the corner, if there's a nightclub, or if there's like a, I don't know, 24 hour bar or whatever it may be, you want to observe to see um, the kind of crowd that's attracted to these areas. So if it's a pub, for instance, the crowd attracted to the pub, do they seem noisy? Do they seem disruptive? Um, are you going to have visitors on your street on all hours of the night if it's a nightclub, for instance? You want to make sure that you look at all of this before you actually make a decision to purchase a property. So now we've covered the importance of viewing more than once. So now on to the next point of what I promised you from last week. It is what to look for during the viewing. Before you look at any properties, while you make your short list, it is important that you are clear on what exactly you are looking for. This may sound blindingly obvious, but until you ask yourself the features that are essential for this property to have, and the features that are non-essential, 
then you will not be able to work out whether or not property is suitable for you, no matter how many times you view the aesthetics until you've made a list in your mind or down in writing of what the absolute essentials are. For example, a dishwasher is an essential to one buyer, may not be an essential to another buyer. So it's important that you must have a list of the features that you can live without and the features that you cannot live without. This is so important so that you can it can serve as a useful tool in narrowing down what you are looking at. Now, not forgetting the exterior. When you are viewing a property, the property starts the property viewing starts way before you set your foot in front of the door. Before entering the property, you need to check the exterior and make sure that you are satisfied with the answers to the following questions. So, more tips. (laughs) Do the neighbours or in the neighbouring houses, do they appear like their houses, their gardens, their outer porches, do they appear clean and well cared for? Hmm... This is an important point because if you're buying a house as a first-time buyer, then you're going to have to live with this. So, do the surroundings appear clean and well cared for? If the neighbours drive old cars, do those cars make noise? Do they emit fumes? These are little things that need to be looked out for. Do they dispose of their rubbish correctly? Obviously, these points can be tailor-made to what is important to you or what exactly your pet peeves are. But you want to make sure that you know what those pet peeves are before you actually buy and have a neighbour that you're stuck with, with X number of years while you live in that house. You want to make sure that your neighbours take pride in their homes as well. Because buying a home, this is not like renting a flat. You will not be um, temporarily living in that home. Except, of course, it's a buy-to-let investment. But at the same time, you want to increase the chances of you being able to rent quickly as soon as your property comes on the market in order to guarantee the returns on your investment. So we've covered before, is the road noisy and is it busy? Is there room for parking and how easy is the parking to find? Um, Does the property have a driveway? Is it safe for children? If you have any, if you plan on having children, is it safe for children to play in the streets? Do you think children can play in the streets without any risk to their safety? And how safe does the street appear in general? If it's nighttime, is it well lit? Are you able to walk down the roads without any form of concern? These are all things to consider. Does the roof look sound or does it look like old or are the tiles misleading? Don't forget to check if there are any drains in the area. For if it's raining, for instance, what are the street drains? What, what do they look like? Um, different points also, like does the exterior of the property need a lick of paint? Are all the other houses in the area, do they look run down? Do they look old? This will be your new neighbourhood or this will be the new neighbourhood of your investment. So either way, you want to make sure that you're checking for all of these little details with the externals even way before you go into the house. So do not forget the exterior. If the property, if the front of the property is wooden, is the wood in a good condition? Does it need replacing? Let me teach you a trick. For instance, let's say the wood in front of the property is old and needs replacing. Or let's say you have a stepping area where you step onto like a porch or a balcony or, and it's uneven or the wood is like shuddy and creaky. This could affect your negotiating power positively. 
this could allow you basically get money off. This could allow you basically negotiate the price to a more suitable price that is more in line with your budget. If, if for instance, the property is slightly over your budget. So this is why it's important to look at the little intricate details, because at any point you want to make sure that you're getting the best deal, not just the best deal in terms of the quality of the property, but also a best deal in terms of the price being spent. Walk around. Have any extensions been added to the house? Does it look like your neighbours could encroach on any area of this house? You need to be sure about what the actual external structures are. So if you viewed a property at night time, you want to be sure that you come back to view it in daylight just to make extra sure that everything is in suitable condition. While you're at it, from the very beginning, you might want to check for anything that might make the property not as sellable as it should be, especially if this is an investment. Even if it's a home that you're buying privately to live in, you want to be sure that if you ever decide to move on, you're able to sell this property quickly. So all of these points as well add towards the overall goal of your investment. So check and be sure that... It's important to ask yourself, if I'm falling for this property, when it's time to sell on, will someone else fall for this property as well? So this is a personal favourite of mine, and this segment or section is titled Poking Around the Cupboards. Yes, Poking Around the Cupboards. Estate agents usually take the lead on showing you around a property. So now we've talked about the exterior. Now we're about to talk about actually walking through the doors and walking and exploring through your potentially dream property, potentially ideal property. So poking around in the cupboards. So once you're inside the property, the agent or the seller will take the lead. They will guide you around the property, pointing out certain features that they themselves have studied as the most marketable features for this property. Okay. Go along with them, that's fine, but don't allow them rush you, no matter how busy they are. You need to remember that potentially you are going to spend quite a bit of money on this property, so take as long as you need. This is where we come to the property checklist, which I did mention that it would be good to have to view all of your properties with. So, create an organized checklist, data viewing, the address of the property, the type of property, if you have information like how old it is, is it a freehold or a leasehold, what's the seller's name, what's the agent's name, what's the asking price, um, is there a likelihood of a negotiation. So what you do is you make a list of, as I said, the date of the viewing, the address of the property, the type of the property and the age, freehold, leasehold, the seller's name, estate agent's name, asking price, and a likelihood of a negotiation. Put all of these down in an organized list and then put a tick next to each or a tick box or a checkbox next to each of these listed criteria. On the next part of your checklist, you want to list the different areas of the house. Now, normally when you find properties for sale online, on online platforms, it, it, it provides you with a floor plan. So with that floor plan, you should be able to see the number of rooms, you should be able to see the kitchen area, if there's a dining area, how many bedrooms, if there's a lounge, if there's a patio, 
whatever is included on that floor plan, look through the floor plan on your computer screen, on your phone screen, or print off the floor plan, and then make a detailed list for each property of the different areas. So kitchen area, lounge, dining room, bedroom one, bedroom two, bedroom three, bathroom, bathroom one, bathroom two, bathroom three, downstairs toilet, car park, garden, central heating, double glazing, fixtures, fixtures and fittings that have been listed in the advert for the property. And you need to also find out from um, the description if the seller has made any structural changes then you need to basically make another list below this list for the running costs. This is so important. So normally at the bottom of your pages under the floor plan, it tells you how much money potentially in that area or with that provider you're spending on gas, electricity, water rates, council tax, and then cable or whatever else. You need to add this to your list. Yes. So then you need to make another column that should tell you, well, I would do this, you don't have to do this, but then you can make a column with traffic, noise, condition of paintwork, guttering, roof, wiring, windows, any repairs needed, and does the area feel safe? The whole purpose of this checklist is so that when you've walked away from a property, even though you've not recorded or taken any pictures, you can then look back on your list and that should create a mental visual representation in your mind of what exactly you've seen and the exact detailed problems you had with that area or with that property. Now, if you're extra detailed like me, I would also make a list of the local amenities in the area. So are there schools? Are there pubs, are there restaurants, cinema, theatre, swimming pool, sports centre, shops, news agents, parks? You basically put this down on your list, make a section for the comments as well. And then, this is my favourite on this list, date of second viewing. I cannot stress the importance of a second viewing. If you are looking at several properties, make copies of this checklist for each property. You don't have to make it exactly like mine and you don't have to go in exact accordance to what I've listed. But as I said, if you have a short list of the things that are important to you, essentials on the property, and the things that are not necessarily essentials, then that would be on your list as well, in addition to the basic essentials of the features of the house. Bedroom one, bedroom two, bedroom three, kitchen, lounge, all of that stuff on your list so that you can make detailed notes as you view. And if you've taken pictures, you can match your pictures to your notes. Poking around in the cupboards, going back to that, open up the kitchen cupboards. You should be able to look around. You should be able to see if there's a leak from under the taps. You should be able to see if there's stamp anywhere. You should be able to open the drawers and then just find out if the kitchen in general is in good quality. Are there any signs of like termites or mites or dust this sounds oh yeah we don't usually find that in areas but then you need to check you need to check if the wood is in proper condition you need to check if there's any damp in the areas you need to check if there's any form of rusting around anything in the cupboards just basic things that you should look out for basic but not so basic because you might get carried away by the estate agent showing you around 
But always be sure to stop and look for yourself. Stop and search. (laughs) Stop and search. Now, what happens when you find something that you're not too comfortable with? Like, let's say something's rusty, something's leaking. Well, no cause for alarm. If the property generally meets your criteria, this could be another spot to get more money off the asking price. And with the reasoning that basically, if you pay the full asking price, you're going to need to fix this leak, you're going to need to fix the stamp, you're going to need to basically repair whatever it is, and that's an additional cost on your end. So this could potentially knock off money off the asking price and save you just a bit of money. Even if it's a couple of hundreds of pounds, I think it's worth the try. We'll come to making an offer in a subsequent episode, like how to make an offer and how to get the best deal off your pricing. However, let's talk about these cupboards one more time. (laughs) You need to have a good look at the boiler. You need to have a good look at the fuse box. And you need to basically make sure that the property is wired properly. Because in a situation where there's an issue with the fuse box or there's an issue with the boiler, it could potentially cost you thousands of pounds to repair and replace. So you want to be sure that you're looking out for any damp patches, any mold, any cracks in the walls. Ask the agent or the seller what is causing the problem. Don't be shy to ask them what the issues are. And even when you're giving an explanation, go beyond the surface. Poke for more answers. Was this looked at? Um, was this detailed? Was this a detailed report by a specialist? Was this looked at by a specialist? You need to be sure that the agent is not just feeding you what you need to hear. You need to be suspicious of a few things. Is mm, wallpaper? Wallpaper over here. This is an odd spot for wallpaper. Is the wallpaper hiding a leak? Is the wallpaper hiding damp? You need to check. Where are the pipes? Um, where are the pipes that lead to the washing machine? Where are the pipes that are under the sink in the drain? Is there a problem with any of these pipes? Open the taps. Run water through. Does the water drain properly? Does the pipe or does the tap make a creaky sound coming through the pipes when you do open up the taps for water to come through? You need to check. Check for any holes. Check for leaks. And then make sure that the roof is properly insulated. So now we're on to asking the right questions. Yay! Okay, you probably have 101 questions to ask. I suggest that before you go on a viewing, you write down possible questions that you might want to ask so that if you're the kind of person that will get overwhelmed by the process of viewing itself or during the process of viewing forgets to ask questions, you want to make sure you've written down keywords that will prompt your memory to ask questions, or you need to jot down a few of those questions which you can read off your phone, or if you're using a map or whatever, or an outline of the property, uh, or if you have a brochure of the property and you've written down on that brochure, you just need to make sure that you have your questions written down so that you do not forget. If you're buying a property directly from someone who's selling, from a seller, you might want to ask the question, why are you moving? If you're not speaking directly to the occupants of the property, you might want to ask the agents as well, why are the occupants of this property, the current occupants, why are they moving? People move for different reasons. Example, they might have outgrown the property um, due to the arrival of children, or maybe it's now too big for them because children have left home, or maybe it's too small 
for whatever reason, they now have more sources of income or an increased budget to get a bigger place or their dream place. This could be a possible reason as well. But you need to pay attention because if the seller is moving because the neighbor is making their life hell, you need to know about that. You need to know if the seller is moving because the noise has increasingly in the area become too much for their children to be able to sleep at night. These are just random examples, but you need to make sure that you absolutely know the reasons for the seller's choice. The next point I will come to is what are the neighbours like? You need to ask this question. If you're opportuned to speak directly to a seller, you need to find out what are the neighbours like. Or you might want to ask the agent, have you got any idea of what the neighbours in this area are like? Um, has a formal complaint ever been made about the neighbours to the council? Or have the police come round in the past? Um, the seller is best capable and able to inform you of these problems. Your solicitor will also ask the solicitor these questions via a seller's questionnaire, which he will send out to um, the seller's solicitors during a conveyancing process or during the conveyancing process. If a seller is unable to tell you about any difficulties with the neighbours and you experience problems when you move in, you can take the, the, the seller to task by taking them to court for withholding valuable or vital information. So they're obliged to release this information. And peradventure, this information is not released, but this documented proof of you asking these questions, these are all, um, this is all evidence that's admissible in court. So remember, however, that the seller does not have to tell you that the neighbours are noisy or disruptive if there hasn't ever been a formal complaint about them. So I'm talking about an extreme case of disturbing the peace or if people are constantly being arrested or if the neighbours next door sell drugs. If it's that serious, then you ought to know about it. You also want to ask the question, how long have you lived here? Moving house is such a stressful process. Like anyone who's ever moved will tell you that it's such a stressful process. So if the seller has only been in this bought property for six months and they can't give you a reason why he or she is moving, then this should ring alarm bells. <laughs> Be wary also, by the way, of sellers who've lived in a property for 20 or 30 years and you know they've always lived here for forever this is like a family house the chances are these type of houses usually need a lot of work to update the property to do with things like the boilers to do with like the fuses or the fuse boxes like you need to be very thorough like someone living in a place for 20 or 30 years is not automatic proof that wow this is an amazing investment it could actually be quite the opposite so you need to be sure so many people put up with problems over the years in their own family houses. However, if the house is being sold to you because you are not used to those problems or you might be coming from another property with fairly almost perfect conditions, you want to make sure that whatever is being passed on to you with the sale of this particular house is something that you are A, able to deal with, or be able to repair. So you just need to be in the know about what exactly you're purchasing. Um, you also want to find out how long has the property been on the market? So I've given you four points. Why are the current occupants moving? What are the neighbors like? 
Um, how long have the occupants lived in that property or the seller? How long have they lived there? And how long has the property been on the market? If a property has been on sale for only a couple of weeks, you may have to make a decision quickly in case someone else snaps it up because obviously in a couple of weeks, other people would have viewed as well. But if the property has been on the market for months or even years in some drastic cases, there could be a problem. The price might be too high, there might be major structural problems, or the property may be at severe risk of flooding, for instance, or making it difficult for a buyer to get a mortgage. So you need to be sure about what exactly the specific details of this sale of this property are, if especially if it's been on the market for an alarming period of time. So if the problem with the property is not, uh, you know, an uncooperative seller, think carefully before you buy. You too may experience problems when it comes to selling. So I'll break that down. If the problem with the property is not that, oh yeah, there's an issue with the seller, he set the price or she set the price too high and they're refusing to be reasonable in line with the market value for the, the average market value for properties in that area. Maybe they think their house is special and should be sold for a bit more. If the problem is not from the actual seller, like the seller is cooperative, the price is right and it's been on the market for a very long time, you might want to take an extra look even if you've not found any problems, structural, cosmetic or otherwise with that property because when it comes to time for you to sell, you might experience the exact same problem the current seller is currently experiencing. Question number five. How many people have viewed the property and has anyone else made an offer? The answer to this question gives you an indication of how much competition there is and how quickly you have to move if you do want to purchase this property. But be wary and be well aware that agents, sellers may exaggerate the interest of properties of other prospective buyers, although it is difficult to find one, just to spark your interest. So they might say, oh yeah, this is this property is going, it's been offered on last night, but we're just doing you a favor and showing you this property now. You need to be mindful of that. You need to be mindful of a case of exaggeration in order to provoke a very quick sale. Is the property a freehold or a leasehold? If it's a freehold, as many houses in the UK are, not a problem. This just means that you will own the property outright. But many flats in the UK are leaseholds, which means that you simply purchase the rights to live there for a certain number of years. You must pay service charges and ground rent every year to the freeholder or the landlord and abide by certain rules. The landlord is also responsible for repairs to the communal areas. Um, if the property is a leasehold, ask the seller for evidence of the service charges and what the landlord is like. Then you might want to ask the seller if he's had any difficulties with the landlord when it comes to repairs. And if, it's, if the service is promised as the service charges are being paid, are delivered on time and according to signed contract stipulations. Point number seven is quite an interesting one. I would ask if the landlord or the seller is in a chain. What does a chain mean? Most sellers are buyers as well. 
So if your seller is buying another property, this creates a chain. So you're buying a property from your seller and your seller is a buyer in his own context, buying a property from another seller. So you want to just be sure when this seller plans on moving out and when his own seller plans on giving him access to the new property that he will be going to occupy. Now, the longer the chain, the likelihood of problems taking place. So you just want to be sure that you're not in a position where you find yourself in a hiccup because the seller is supposed to be moving into another property and is unable to move in for one reason or the other. And this affects your timeline, not only for purchasing or exchange, but also for your renovation work. So you need to be sure to ask this all important question number seven. Are you in a chain and when do you want to move? And then he might ask you, what is a chain? And then you explain and say, are you buying from someone else? And if you're buying from someone else, then when do you plan on fully occupying your new property? Question number eight. How much are the utility bills and how much is the council tax? Ask the seller. Look at their gas, electricity and water bills. Ask what council tax band the property comes under and look at a bill if possible. Look at a bill if possible. It just makes the process more verifiable and you've seen it for yourself. Has any work been carried out on this property you would like to know? You need to ask that question. So if any work has been carried out, how extensive was the work carried out? Was it a cosmetic change? Was it to create more space like an extension? Or was it a structural flaw or problem with the property? Because if there are excessive issues with the property, you want to just be sure that it's not a repeat problem and it's a problem that has been settled once and for all. If it's a complicated problem that has been settled once and for all, you might want to request from the landlord some form of evidence or details of repairs like um, engineers reports and a sign off saying this problem has been fixed. You need to ask the all important question of what fixtures and fittings are included. Sometimes you might be in a situation where you look at a property, you fall completely in love with it and then half of the items you love in the property are not actually being sold with the property. They're just being used to actually stage the property in order to make the property more appealing. You need to be sure of the terms of the sale. Um, you can negotiate with the seller as well. If it's if there's something you're interested in that he's taking away with him, you can negotiate and say, oh, can you leave me that rug? Can you leave me that carpet? Can you leave me that dining table? And maybe even offer to pay a little more or ask him to throw it in as a favour. All in all, you need to be sure exactly what your purchase comes with. You might also want to ask intrusive, slightly intrusive questions, but permitted questions like has... Um, if like has the landlord ever been burgled has the property ever been burgled has the seller has he ever have had a car stolen from outside if yes is it several times you might rethink buying that property but if it's an isolated event that occurred the seller might have tightened up his security and if so you will benefit from secure locks and cameras and cctv and that would be an added benefit to you purchasing that property you also want to 
you know, ask whether the property is situated in like a neighborhood watch area so that you know um, that the neighbors look out for each other and each other's homes. And if it's that can act as a deterrent to burglars, for instance. So if you're in a neighborhood that has a neighborhood watch, also that would also mean lower insurance premiums. And if you're not able to have this privilege or benefit in the neighborhood that you're buying, then that might take up your insurance. A final question might be, how easy is it to find parking? This is a concern if you have a car and if the property doesn't have a garage or off-the-road parking, ask the seller how much you'd have to pay for a permit if required and glance at the other cars parked in the street. If they are valuable and their owners are happy to park them there, then that should be a fairly suitable indication of the fact that it's actually safe for you to park there too. Um, But if, for instance, only old bangers... (laughs) and rundown cars are in sight, then you might want to ask yourself if you're comfortable with parking there. This brings me to decision time. Decisions, decisions, decisions. So after you've reviewed a property several times, you've asked the questions I've mentioned and more, whatever questions you might have, you want to basically think again about viewing again. And if you're ready to make a decision, do you like the property enough to make an offer? If you decide to make an offer, you might want to keep even some additional tips in mind. You must be sure never to rush into making an offer. Even if you're really excited, curb your excitement in front of the seller or agent. If they can see how thrilled you are, if if they can see how desperate you are to, to make this decision, get out of the way and get this property, you might just look like a very easy sale. And this might affect your bargaining power. It will affect how much of a deal you're able to get on a property because to the seller or to the landlord, your eagerness might affect the consideration of reduced pricing. If you can get away with offering for less than the asking price, then try it. The worst thing that will happen is basically you will get a no. It doesn't hurt to try. If you mask your excitement, if you don't show how much interest you have in the property, if you remain guarded and if you remain cool, calm and collected, there is a very, very big chance that whatever you're offering below the asking price, not whatever, obviously within reason, but what you're offering below the asking price will be basically accepted by the seller. Now, there needs to be a balance for this point, however, because while you can save money off curbing your excitement, you also want the seller or the agent to be adequately convinced that you actually are serious about purchasing this property. So obviously, not too excited, not too numb either. Otherwise, it might just seem like you are not quite as interested as other parties who might be more keen or appear more keen on the surface. Whatever you do, be friendly towards the seller. Whatever you do, ask the appropriate questions. Whatever you do, try your best to build a rapport with the seller. It doesn't cost you anything to be nice and it may just work in your favour and it might give you a competitive advantage over another buyer in exactly your same position, probably maybe even offering exactly the same price. 
We have come to the end of this episode and I have thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you and taking you through finding a suitable property to buy. Until the next episode, thank you very much for listening. This is Chinny and this has been the ins and outs of property renovation.